Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Reproducer. Hello, I'm Mark Jeeves. And I'm Jenny Nelson. Welcome to Reproducer. This is a podcast series that celebrates those behind-the-scenes talented individuals. So as with all media jobs, there are the people at the front and there are the people in the back room who help the people out front stay out front. And that is kind of what this podcast is all about. Um, What do these producers do? Sometimes you hear them on air, sometimes they're referred to by the presenter, sometimes you have no idea who they are and what exactly they do to keep things ticking along nicely. And the guest today, we're delighted to say, is Liz Barnes. Yes, it is a delight to have Liz on because I've I've kind of been slightly involved in her career, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but also, uh, I, I've loved watching her career because she's she started. I mean, she's crossed both divides. She's gone. Uh, she's been in the BBC. She's been in commercial radio and has come back to the BBC now. Uh, she's the producer of Johnny Walker's show, which is one of the big Radio Two weekend jewels in the crown. But she's done so much uh, aside from that, and it's going to be fascinating to hear her talking about uh, you know how she was first introduced to taking on new ideas it was something that she came from a news background that was slightly more difficult for her Uh, and also really her advice on anyone coming into the industry now because she did have some interest she got some interesting insights into that so uh, really pleased that Liz is able to join us Liz Barnes is our guest this week when I sit in you know at Radio 2 with Johnny Walker and we do a live show the program starts and literally the emails go the texts go you know the whatsapps go and it's just because everyone just wants to get in touch they want to share my first job was logging cds for presenters who came off air and that was for andy peebles and i sort of pretended i didn't know who he was reproducer So we started by asking Liz about her early radio career. I got into radio through college radio in America because I went and did my third year of university in America and college radio at that time, which is nearly 30 years ago, I suppose, college radio, certainly where I was at the University of London, didn't, it it wasn't really. I, I wrote music reviews for the 
for the magazine, but I, I, I didn't have an option to get into radio. I certainly didn't find it. Um, I'd always listened to the radio as a child and growing up and, you know, had sort of appointments to listen. So I was already a radio fan and I liked music and I liked content. I like stuff. I like listening to people do stuff, whether it was the news or, 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 you know, or the top 40. Um, so when I went to university in America and the radio station was really accessible, it was part of campus life. Um, I jumped into that because it, 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 there was a lot of emphasis on it in, in the college and it was, it wasn't kind of like ramshackle. It was, it was serious. There was a station manager and a, you know, and an executive producer and a head of music. And um, so it was sort of quite serious. So when I went home from America, I, um, I thought, oh, now I've had a go at radio. I would like to, I'd like to try and work out how to use my degree <laughs> and turn it into something to do with radio. What was your degree? My degree was modern history. So oh, okay. no, nothing to do with- Nothing to with, do with the radio or media then. With broadcasting at all, but actually very useful for being a radio producer because it's all about research and finding stuff and making sure you know enough about stuff in order to be able to- either talk about it or do something about it you know whether it's write an essay or whatever so at the time I didn't realize that but it was actually useful so when you got back from America what did you do next I went to my local BBC radio station (laughs) I worked in a record shop I went to my local BBC radio station and said I would like to do something on in on whatever on the radio um and the head of the news editor there where was um this so this was Radio Lancashire Mm. And the news editor there, I think, had been there forever, had quite a fearsome reputation, but a really good reputation. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a journalist or what I wanted to do. And um, so I went and did uh, did work experience there. They, they, you know, it was in, in those days where they just said, OK, then we'll come in on Monday. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and my first job was logging CDs for presenters who came off air. They walked up to people like me with a great big pile of CDs and a piece of paper and said, that's what I've played. And then you went and sat at a desk and you logged all the tracks and, and then handed the paper to the, head of, to the head of music. And that was for Andy Peebles. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's quite yeah. a name to start. Yeah, so, uh, uh, and I sort of pretended I didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really know what to do. So I didn't really, I didn't say, oh, you're Andy Peebles. Like, you know, um, so because I didn't want to appear like a Wally, so I just wanted to be professional. So I just sort of crashed on with what I was supposed to be doing. But quite soon after that, they let me sit in with a producer on, uh, you remember Jim Bowen from Bullseye? <laughs> of course. So he used to do the mid That radio legend. <laughs> he did the, the mid-morning programme. So I sat with the producer and the assistant producer on that. And I sat with them and, you know, we answered the phones and, you know, did a bit of research. And it, it was brilliant. I went in every day for, a, you know, oh, gosh, about six months. Um, but all the while, I thought I better, I don't know whether this makes, you know, I thought I don't know if this makes a job. So I applied to do a postgrad in broadcast journalism um, at the, well, it used to be Preston Poly, but I think it had just turned into the University of Central Lancashire around then. And it was at that time, that was a really good course. Um, I actually don't know, I, I don't know 
I don't know how it what it's morphed into these days, but their press journalism course and their broadcast journalism course was was fantastic at the time, and I was completely amazed when I got on it because um, I then thought, oh God, now I need to do it. I got to know you when you were in music radio. So what was your transition then into? Because you were at Six Music, I think, when I first got to know you. I actually thought for a minute I might want to go into telly. But then I realised really quickly that it takes ages and you have to carry cameras and white balance things every time you want to say something. And whereas radio, you just had, well, at the time, it was like a little mini disc recorder, I think. And so that was, it was like, oh, I'm doing this because it's so much more instant. You know, something happened, you could get it on air straight away. So the sort of easiest route into anything was local radio. So I actually got a job as a, as a news journalist on a... Um, a brand new station at the time called 2BR, which was based near Burnley mm. um, in Lancashire. But, and you know, obviously I thought, oh, I, I, you know, obviously I want to end up somewhere really exciting and huge. But that was the best place to start because you did everything from, you know, obviously you read the news and, 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 and wrote the news, but you went out reporting. And I actually ended up, you ended, um, actually ended up doing a bit of actual programme production without really realising it, um, because in small local radio stations, you do, you all do everything, don't you? Mm, but mm. I wanted to get into music radio. Um, so I, I, after a couple of years at the BBC, I moved up to BBC Radio Cumbria. Again, brilliant for learning everything, um, you know, learning how not to do a lot of things, <laughs> but also learning how to do them and learning from people who've been there forever, who had the most incredible skill sets. But after I was there for two or three years on the news team, and then I presented and produced the drive time program, which was all speech, <laughs> two and a half hours of speech. We had half an hour of discs at the end. Discs. Discs. Um, so that was a lot of talking. For younger listeners, that's music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did, you know, I was kind of, what was I, 27, 28, and I just thought I, I, I really want to have, I'd like to go into music radio before I get set into something else. And so I applied uh, for a job at Six Music and, and I went there again on the, on, the, on the news team, but it was the music news team, um, which allowed me to kind of flex that music muscle, I suppose. Um, and then I met Mark Jeeves when uh, I applied for a job at Planet Rock because I really wanted to go into music programming. I wanted mm. to produce and I didn't really know how to do it at the BBC. I think I was probably a bit frightened of saying I'd like to do that. Right. Um, and I done I did a bit, um, but the when I when I moved to Planet Rock, which at the time was was owned by by well the newly formed GCAP, wasn't it? Um, yeah. That was a, a great opportunity, and again a small station where you had the chance to do everything. And now you're looking after a legend. I, I am. I am, well I, I I I I help him and give him stuff, and then he makes the magic work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah I mean it's um We're talking also, about Johnny Walker here on Radio 2 yeah I mean Johnny is just it's I never have I just to put it simply sitting in the studio and watching him work is just really exciting and it's I don't think it will ever not be exciting I've when I when we do a live show I don't ever not feel like okay let's go because he does He's just brilliant. He has um, that 
inbuilt knowledge of how to speak to listeners, um, what to do, when to play a record, when to come in, when to stop. And he's just, um, it really is fantastic to watch him work. So you've had quite a career. What's the proudest moment, do you think, in your radio career? <laughs> it's quite hard, isn't it? Because um, I think some some days you're just proud to get through a programme. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray, I made it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then other times, it's, it, you know, you think of, 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 you know, about big big stuff that you've done or big, think, big things to you. Um, I really like producing documentaries and stuff where you kind of dig a bit deeper and it's a project. And again, that probably goes a bit maybe back to my degree because I, I liked doing big, enormous dissertations and finding stuff out. Um, so anytime I've been involved in kind of a documentary kind of um, situation, I've I really enjoyed that because you get time to stretch your legs a little bit. I did a program for Radio 2 about John Lennon um, um, when he would have turned 80 in 2020. And that was probably over six months in the making and that was over lockdown. Actually, if lockdown hadn't happened and if COVID hadn't happened, I probably would have flown to New York, had to do it all in person and done it all in four days. But actually, it took a lot longer because it was like this. So I actually, we had lots of meetings with people like this and got to know people a lot better and how, so therefore it was sort of slightly easier to write the script, slightly easier to work out what people maybe wanted rather than going straight in being like, right, I need to do this, this and this and this. We actually developed a relationship over the kind of four months, which I think probably made the program better, but lots of stuff. I mean, I got to go to Chicago with Iron Maiden and make a program about that. I mean, if you like Iron Maiden, that's interesting. And as a producer, it's brilliant because you don't know what you're going to do. You, you know, you're there with your recorder. You've got no script. You've just got four band members or six band members to somehow find over the next three days while they're trying to do a tour. Um, you know, you need to talk to fans, you need to work out what this program's going to be in your head and just make it all happen. And it's sort of like half crossing your fingers and half planning, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, I would I would say those are those are two of the kind of highlights. I suppose. What do you think it is about radio? What do you personally love about radio? What is it about radio that, that gets you doing it every day still? I think just the communication, the fact that it's, it is a form of communication still. Um, you know, I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, a, a music podcast, speech podcasts, podcasts of radio programs that have been cut down. Um, but as a child listening to, I, and I'm going to show my age now, but I can remember listening to Junior Choice on Radio 1. And I mean, I must have been sort of three, really small, with Ed Stewart and just think and hearing him talk about, you know, say people's names, listeners' names, and just thinking, so exciting that someone has got, you know, in those days it was a letter, wasn't it? Written a letter to him. They, you know, just that form of communication between people that went out to millions of other people and then they played a record and everybody loved it. And it, and it was, I just, I loved the, just the way that all came together. And that is still the exciting thing. When I sit in, you know, at Radio 2 with Johnny Walker and the, pro, you know, when we, we do a live show, the programme starts and literally the emails go, the texts go, the, you know, the WhatsApps go, and it's just because everyone just wants to get in touch. They want to share 
what's going on, and I, I, that's what excites me still. Producer. Uh, we wanted to chat a bit about influences, and I mean, you may well say Mark Jeeves in your answer to this question, <laughs> but um, who have been the biggest influences on your career and why? Um, do you know what? I probably would say Mark. I'm not being you know, because, <laughs> only because <laughs> when I when I first met him, he was such a yes person. Not you can do what you want, but you can do that. Because um, I was fairly green when I first, uh, not necessarily green to radio, but green to production and knowing um, how to make a program work. I could make you know five minutes of news work, but making a program work. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes maybe I was slightly guilty of waiting for permission to do stuff. Like, yes, you can go away and edit that. You can make that program. You can, whereas Mark would be like, of course you can make that program. Of course you can use that software. Of course you can, of course you can go and do that. And, you know, to have somebody like that who lets you make decisions and lets, also lets you fail. Um, cause mm. I, I probably messed stuff up as well. Well, I did, but that that's really important. I mean, I you know I had a great mentor at Radio Cumbria, um, and I think he must be retired now. Um, but he was, you know, he was the head of programs, and he I presented a program for a while, and he presented for years. And him and another uh, lady who was lovely called Belinda. Um, when I started presenting, they didn't just say, right, well, go and present and see how you do. They actually taught me how to present. They sent me on a course to teach me how to present and produce. And then not only that, for a week when I presented, like as well as having lessons on how to use those enormous, you know, BBC desks, they also sort of said, right, well, you pre present two days with us in the room. Then you present a day with us sitting in the production area. Then you like you know we'll, we'll sort of wean you off us you know that kind of support was just I mean invaluable because I, I I don't know whether there are the resources and time for that anymore I was very supported early on again you don't realise it when you're younger but now I do and regarding like lessons that you've learned about production either through training course or what someone's taught you or just what you've witnessed and thought either I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that what what would you say what lessons what are the biggest lessons that you've learned about how to be a good producer I think what um watching other people when I when I when I was at Six Music I really um saw some incredible producers who who had been at the BBC for a long time um and what, just watching how they worked and watching how, not only how they worked and how they prepped a show and how they, um, you know, got all the information together, the scripts, the cues, loaded up the music, made sure everything, you know, everything was clockwork. But the way they interacted with their presenter, the way they, um, the relationship they had with their presenter, the relationship they had with their assistant producer, the way they answered the phone, the way they spoke to... PRs or pluggers or, or guests, um, just watching and listening to people like that was really, really important because producing is so much more than just getting a radio program ready to go on air. Uh, and, and, and I think that probably took me a lot, a long time to maybe understand just how much prep goes into it, apart from just printing off the scripts, getting the tracks ready and you know, starting on time and hitting the news. <laughs> and so with that kind of, is there any advice that now 
you can reflect back on how you've kind of developed as a producer over the years and any advice you'd give yourself for your earlier career? As a, as a producer, the most important thing are your relationships, you know, with your presenter, if that's what you're doing, if you're, you know, producing a live show or, or just the way you, the way you prepare. Um, you know, I, 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 things, just really simple things like always having extra everything, always having extra music, extra stuff to say, for your presenter to say, you know, extra scripts, extra songs, extra topics, extra anything, you know, an extra cup of coffee because your presenter might want another one really quickly and then you haven't got time to run out because you're answering the phone. Um, I think just the essence of, of preparation is so important, so important. And that's when I work with younger producers now or younger assistant, you know, assistant producers, the best ones are always the ones that tell me something that I've forgotten. And you're like, oh, I knew that. Yes, I was going to say, could you do that, please? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, so, yeah, pre preparation, I think. Reproducer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The question we've asked our guests, and we've had lots of very interesting answers, uh, is what, what, how do you define the role of a producer? What is, what, what's a radio producer? What is their role? It's multifaceted, I think. I don't think it's one role. I think you, um, you, you are primarily there as, you know, it's like the swan furiously paddling underneath the, you know, you are the legs of that swan, um, you know, paddling underneath the water. Um, you know, you are a researcher, fact checker, um, counsellor sometimes if your presenter comes in and is like oh what a rubbish journey here don't want to do this or just put coffee down my top or just bump the car in the car park um you know you're a problem solver um but you've got to make it work you you know the, uh, you are a you are you are a facilitator but you're you've got to also remember that you're not just making stuff happen you've got to make it good you've got to make it interesting you've got to make it what everybody wants to hear you've got to make it so that your presenter is comfortable and excited about what they're doing and you've also got to have like a bit of ESP just in case something might be about to happen that you don't know is about to happen <laughs> the one that consistently comes back is counsellor which I think is <laughs> telling isn't it we're all we're all counsellors Let's think about your current gig. So working with Johnny Walker, for those uh, who don't know Johnny Walker, 
legendary broadcaster right the way back to the 1960s and uh, a, a trailblazer in many ways and, and, and continues to be so. What's your typical day with Johnny? When you're producing Johnny, what, what do you actually do? What's the nuts and bolts of it? We're slightly different now um, because we're, we're pre-recorded at the moment and that's an, a, big, a big thing that has obviously changed um, during lockdown because before that we were live um, and every, you know, every, uh, um, so South of the 70s on Sundays was live, the rock show on a Saturday night was live um, and I would never have dreamt either of those shows could ever have been done from home because you need to go into Wogan House to do everything. Mm. Um, you know, maybe write a script at home but um, do a bit of research, but now that we're pre-recorded, I can pre-record Johnny at home and I go into, I do still go in, I do still go into Radio 2, but it's it's slightly easier to, to pre-record him. So we still record together. It's not voice tracked. And he is still really involved in everything that we do, even though we don't physically meet every week now. Um, I still prepare everything in the same way, all the scripts and the research, and I can access the BBC archives we use quite a lot of archive stuff for sounds of the 70s i set up all the guests but yeah but, but, but the the biggest thing i suppose that we do is, is 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 recording the program and then of course it needs editing and then it needs complying which is of course hugely important that's one of the biggest things that i suppose has changed since i started in radio is compliance i mean yes can you, can, can you explain compliance for those who might not know what that is Anything from uh, just making sure that it's whatever you're, you, that you are putting out on air is suitable to be put out on air in terms of language, tone, subject. Um, and that can be in the speech, it can be in the, conf um, the content, it can be inference, it can be music, you know, even something like innuendo, you know. And I mean, we all learned, the whole of the radio industry learned an incredibly huge lesson was it 2006 with, with Russell Brand and, and Jonathan Ross um, and I think it made everybody go oh even you know even if you'd never done anything wrong before it made you think am I, am I, have I done stuff wrong have I you know yeah. made the whole industry it changed the whole industry um, but yeah so my yeah my my my, tip, my typical day my typical week is, is probably longer and more drawn out because the programs are pre-recorded simply because they need editing at the other end but it's still, it's, do you know what though? It's, it's still really good fun because you still listen to the music and you still yeah. get the content ready, you know, and I still have to, I still have to guide Johnny the way I would in the studio. The only difference is, is that we, you know, don't, um, the audience interaction is, is kind of, is delayed. We, you know, we get it a week later, you know, we tell them that. And if you want to, you know, if you want an email reading out or, you know, a message reading out, for a future show, send it in. But you know that you kind of miss that excitement of people getting straight in touch. But by and large, it's, it's the same thing, just in a different way. So you've you've talked already about talent management. So you know they've, they've bashed their car, they're coming in a bad mood, and you've got to you've got to listen to them and sort that bit out. And they you've also talked about the nuts and bolts of doing the show. And can you think of you know what what have been challenges that you've met? Can you think of a time when you've been you've had a really difficult challenge to deal with, and uh, and how did you deal with it? I suppose with every live show, there's always a difficult bit, whether it's you know whether it's uh, I don't want you to play that song. I want to play that song. Uh, can you play another song? Nope. Um, or that's not specific to Johnny. That's any producer um, yeah. and, and and presenter, or, or you know, are having to make difficult decisions about stuff. But um, specifically, 
making the John Lennon at 80 program was very difficult in the sense that I was dealing, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, I was, uh, the whole point of me doing it was recording this, 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 this series with John Lennon's son, his younger son. He was only five when his, when his dad was shot. And if I had flown straight to New York and done the interview and come straight, uh, well, and we'd done the programs and, you know, recorded it and I'd just taken it home and it had been kind of in, in, in and out kind of thing, it would have been possibly easier, but, you know, because we had to develop these relationships over kind of like three, you know, three or four months during lockdown, I think I became, you know, I was dealing with someone who'd, whose father had been murdered. It doesn't matter that he was John Lennon. I was dealing with someone who was going, going over some really emotional stuff. And I was telling him what to say or <laughs> suggesting, you know, I was building and shaping this thing around what I thought it should be. Yeah. And of course he has lived with that for 40 years. And wow. so to, that was quite difficult to, it felt like quite a personal thing to take on, not personal for me, but personal for him. Um, so, sort of, you know, in terms of, uh, of dealing with people, it's not a technical issue, you know, it's not, it's not taking a station off air or loading the wrong, a sweary version of a song, but as a producer, trying to get the best out of somebody when you know that it's not easy for them that was actually a really big lesson for me to learn, I think. Um, never done that, you know, and for someone to come, you know, to come to you and sort of say, I'm not sure about this bit or do I have to do that bit? Or, you know, he was, Sean Lennon was incredible to work with. I mean, amazing. It was, you know, he was so uh, responsive to what I was suggesting, but still, you know, it. I was under no illusion that it was a, difficult thing to do and it was di it was difficult to produce but i'm glad i did no i can imagine and uh, i'm guessing he he wanted to make this program yes he, he did he, he, so he wanted to do it but yeah. you're but you were having to guide and share uh, you so it's you taking this stuff that's in his head and making it palatable or accessible to a radio audience and trying yeah to... and he had to have conversations with his brother yeah. you know with with Sir Paul McCartney, with Sir Elton John, yeah. and you know, Sir Elton John is his godfather. <laughs> you know, Different and world. Like, yeah, but he hadn't actually met him since he was a kid. They hadn't had anything to do with each other. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, to, you know, because because I think that you know, just just the way of so. And I was doing all this via Zoom, sort of, you know, trying to sort of say, well, we need to have this, you need to have this conversation, we need to make sure you talk about this, and, you know, and, and having the same conversation with him about what he was going to chat about with, with Paul McCartney. Um, and, you know, you sort of, part of you is thinking, who am I to be telling John Lennon's son what he should be asking Paul McCartney? This is stupid. But also thinking, I need to make sure... He is secure and feels comfortable enough to do this really well because it's it's not easy for him. Um, and also, we need to make a radio program. You know, Jenny and I spend a lot of time on Zoom with each other. We need to make our Zooms much more exciting, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is fascinating because it does come down to that trust element. And as a producer, I don't know if you felt this sometimes when being introduced to presenters. 
whether to work on a documentary or someone who you're going to be working with for a long period of time. It's that awareness that you kind of don't have long to sort of show your, you've got to prove your worth in a way. You've got to earn their trust. And often a producer needs to earn a presenter's trust on a pretty quick basis. So, I mean, yeah, that's fascinating how you, I'm assuming it was just, well, demonstrating to Sean how great you were in the sense of how prepared, how you had his back, how you were thinking three steps ahead to ensure that he felt as, as you say, as supported as possible. But I mean, that is a skill that I think is quite hard to teach. Yeah, and it's having sensitivity, isn't it? Because you, you know, having worked in news and, you know, been to so many news conferences about horrible things like murders and, you know, child murders, awful things. And, you know, as, uh, you know, as, as news journalists and news producers, they have to dive in, get the stuff and go because you've got to get it on air. And I, I, I probably wasn't tough enough for that. Um, OK, we're going to kind of close off by looking at the future of radio. And I think one thing, I mean, you've touched on how podcasts are obviously such a huge part of the audio content landscape. And I mean, one thing that I'm particularly fascinated in, especially when it comes to talking about the next generation of radio producers and how do we find them, train them, bring them into the radio family, as it were. What what do you think is the future of radio and how can we make radio radio more appealing to those who are already doing it themselves as podcast producers who have got their complete autonomy. They can make, edit, publish their own stuff. And I sometimes wonder if radio might not be as appealing now to the new generation of producers as it was perhaps to us, because there was no other alternative. It was, you know, if you wanted to work in audio and speak to people or create content that spoke to people, you worked in radio. So Yes, it's a bit of a two-pronged question, but firstly, future of radio, what are your thoughts? And secondly, how can we attract the best and most creative producers into radio as opposed to podcasts? Personally, I don't feel like actual linear radio is going to die because I think just from sitting and producing a live show, you know, week after week at at Radio 2, just the the sheer volume of, of, of people who want to interact and it's their appointment to listen you know the amount of people that will email in and say I'm sitting here with my glass of wine you know uh, you know I'm cooking the roast like I do every week or that sort of thing I think I think people will always want a curated listen Um, I think people do still enjoy a live listen I'm not leading the future of radio on purpose because I don't know what I, I, don't, I really don't know how it's a very hard job. It's a very hard job, you know, right from, right from you know, diversity and making sure you, you, you hit all the audiences that need to be hit to giving them the content that they want because they've got so many places to go for it. And is that, would you say for, for producers at the moment and in future, that is the biggest challenge is just keeping keeping the listeners as it because of all the distractions or are there any other challenges that you think are particularly pertinent now think, and in the future i, I, I think i think it, it, you know for a radio producer now it, you know you could be a radio producer now a young radio producer someone just getting into radio and you might not, not ever produce anything live you know you, mm-hmm. everything might be pre-recorded you know might be pre-recorded voice track pre-scheduled um and so you you know i think one thing that does sort of slightly worry me is that the next generation of live radio producers, there might not be that many of them because live radio is, 
isn't as prevalent as it was even you know probably when I started Planet Rock which was a while ago <laughs> 2005 but the, you know there are a lot more live radio shows on the radio full stop then than there are now. As we kind of round off one thing Mark and I are always curious about is whether our guest has got a dream job or a dream talent that they would like to work with is there a, a show or a network that you think oh I wish I'd love to have a go there or a particular person who you would love to work with. Do you know who I would who I would have loved to work with, although I wouldn't have really been able to contribute to him at all? Um, I would love to have worked with Kenny Everett. Hmm. But this is just really going. I, I literally would have done nothing because <laughs> because he was everything. Um, but I would like to have sat in and pretended to produce him. Because <laughs> 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 um, this again, again, just watching such a, you know, an amazing. Uh, communicator like I said before watching Johnny Walker work it's just such a he's just brilliant and it just it happens when he's when he's live and it's like it just it's a thing and not everybody has it it's a thing but to be able to work you know with somebody somebody like that who is you know a broadcaster through and through yeah I would love I'd love to have worked I'd love to have worked with Kenny Everett I mean I love Joe Wiley I really love Joe Wiley I think because I grew up at a time where there weren't that many girls on the radio who liked the sort of music that I did. I was, you know, I liked pop, but I was more kind of rockish leaning. And mm. she was the first girl that I ever really heard on the radio that didn't sound terrified by a guitar, <laughs> do you know? And she was yeah. kind of in the gang and I, I really appreciated that. And I, I like, I think she's done an, an incredible job with her. She's, she's a great communicator. She makes people, um, feel like they're, you know, along for the ride with her. And, and I think she has done a really good job of, of growing up with her audience um, and hopefully bringing in some new ones along the way. And um, this might be putting you on the spot, apologies if it is, but um, is there a moment that you've had in your career that could be defined by OMG? OMG good or OMG bad? Well, Either. there's two of his. There's OMG and there's FFS. So you keep your bad <laughs> one for the FFS answer. But OMG. So, yeah, I like a wow, what am I actually doing here kind of. Um, do you know what? I'm really lucky. I've had quite a lot because of what, because of working at Planet Rock. And, and um, we got to do some really cool stuff. Um, and, and I think sort of just did it because they used to come through thick and fast. I mean, it's, you know, everything I say is going to be to do with a band <laughs> or an artist, but, you know, to be able to sit in a room and you're sitting there with your finger hovering over the pause button and then Mick Jagger walks in and goes, hi. And you're like, <sighs> you know, um, and not, you know, in a hotel room actually as well, which is even more, you know, thinking I've actually sat in a hotel room with Mick Jagger. And I've got to get this done in 10 minutes because there's no messing about, um, you know, or, I, you know, I, I, I interviewed all the Foo Fighters. I had to sit in, in the middle of all of them, which is so intimidating, but they were obviously they weren't intimidated. So I just had to not be intimidated and just pretend <laughs> it was, you know, and, and, and we made it, well, I had to do what turned into an hour's programme. Um, so again, I had to be sort of producing on the spot while I was doing the interview because I didn't have a producer with me because I was the producer. Um, so that was another another o OMG um, OMG moment, I suppose. Because again, all mine had to do with music, but 
yeah, that, that was quite exciting. And is there an FFS moment that you'd be happy to share? <laughs> I've got so many. How <laughs> 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 so many radio stations have we taken off air? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I won't tell you about any of those. Um, when I was the programme manager of a radio station, um, we had a rather large, well, not physically large, but a, a, a rock star in doing a live interview on the mid-morning programme, which is fairly unusual. We didn't really used to do that very often, but um, anyway, they were you know, well-known as a fairly rebellious rock star. But, you know, they're in their 40s, so should have grown out of, doing anything silly uh, and of course swore within about two or three minutes of being on air and um the uh, head of the radio station wasn't there i was uh, and i heard it and was the, and 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 sort of you know you immediately go into oh no oh no oh no and you just think pray or oh, please presenter please do the right thing and the presenter was amazing even to the point of reading out the thing on the wall that said this is a live studio do not swear near a microphone he said i said to the he said to the rock star in question look it's written there like why can't you don't say the f word on the radio um so again sort of as as program manager you're kind of producing all day but you're not but you are um you know it's one of the balls that I was kind of juggling, but um, but yeah, thank goodness for a quick thinking presenter. It was so great to spend uh, time with Liz, and I'd like to, yeah, we'd like to thank her so much for coming on to the podcast to uh, talk about her career, which, as I say, I've watched with delight uh, to see how she's done so well coming from you know planet rock where she'd she'd done that thing which i thought was really brave and she talked about it in the podcast which is where she was working predominantly in news but worked out that she wasn't really a news Mm. person and i think it's as important to recognize what you're not as well as what you are Mm. um and she really brought that home to me but that news training has really made her and i think made her kind of excel as a producer because i got the impression this is a woman who is so thorough yeah everything she makes is so considered and thorough and she's got a backup plan ready and this is not someone who wings it is the impression (laughs) i got which is brilliant and you know uh, that's the sign of a great producer isn't it it's someone who's completely in control and ready for whatever the show or the presenter might throw at them yeah Especially if it's Johnny Walker and he decides he wants to change the song with six seconds to go, as you mentioned, which is like, yes, Johnny, no trouble at all. So thanks for listening to this episode of Reproducer. And if you like that, remember there are more episodes for you to go and check out as well. Uh, And if you click subscribe, whenever we put more up, you'll get an alert telling you about them. So it'd be great if you did that too. Thank you so much for listening. Reproducer. Reproducer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.